Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. When I first, towards the end of last year, decided uh, to pray to preach the book of Proverbs uh, this year, one of the things that really motivated me was not just the first nine chapters, which we have walked through verse by verse, which is the way you really need to do that. Those are conversations. But the latter part, which we begin this morning, which is chapters 10 through 30, uh, which you have to preach topically just because of the way in which the book of Proverbs is organized. And so my responsibility is to be faithful, not only the words of the text, but the way in which the text is written. And so we take these topics and we highlight them. But I was really motivated by our desire uh, to see our college students and, and students particularly uh, really take these messages and, and grab onto them. There's so much practical application here. And I'm just such a good planner. I plan to start this really the week, week before almost every one of them leaves. I, that was a terrible, I don't know what happened there. I didn't think that out very well. So let me just say to those of you who are traveling in the next few weeks and college students may be leaving, uh, stay with us. Uh, podcast and uh, on the website, just keep listening, keep staying with us as we walk through these really incredibly important topics. I'm going to be addressing, uh, I think, I, I believe 10 of the most prominent topics in the book of Proverbs over the next few weeks. When I was early in my ministry, I saw a lot of things in my church that I wanted to see the Lord change. And uh, one of the things as I prayed through it, I wanted to do, I wanted to invite some really good guest speakers to come and to address some things and maybe say some things that they could say better than I could. And so I invited my uncle by the name of Tom Eliff to come and, and to preach. And Tom was a great revivalist. He, he had a lot to say about life with Jesus. And I just really thought our people needed to hear from him. And he got up to preach on Sunday morning. He said, open your Bibles to James chapter three. And I thought, well, I don't know. It's not exactly what I was thinking. And he, he began to talk about words. He talked about how in James chapter three, it says that our words are like a bit that's put in a horse's mouth. And so here's this incredibly strong animal that can be completely turned by just this small bit. James three talks about a, a massive ship that can be turned by a small rudder in whichever way it's pointed, the ship is going to turn. James three talks about the way in which the tongue is like this small fire that can set an entire forest ablaze, the power of words. And then James 3, 9 was his text for the day, which says, with our mouths, with our tongues, we bless God, and with our tongues, we curse others. And he began to talk about the way in which words have often been used in our lives to bring a curse upon us. Maybe an intentional or an unintentional word that was said. Maybe the person that said it knew they said it, or maybe they had no idea that they said it. But it has become a curse in your life. It is something that you have begun to believe. It is a stronghold in your life. And after he preached the message, I, I had a man in our church whose name I remember. I knew him well. He was in his early 80s. He came up to me and said, Pastor Josh, I want to tell you a story. He said, when I was a young boy, I grew up in a Mennonite church in Pennsylvania. I don't know exactly how old, six or seven years old, but I was, I was singing. And we didn't use instruments. And so everybody just raised their voices and he said, as I was singing, a lady behind me, an older lady, tapped me on the shoulder and said that I, I didn't sing very well, and so I should not sing so loudly. He said, I have never once sung again in church since that moment. Seventy-something years of not singing because some woman who may have had a bad morning or a bad marriage her heart of bitterness said a word, the curse of words. Mary Ann Bird, 
in her memoir, The Listening, The Whispering Test, talked about all of the struggles that she had growing up. She was born deaf in one ear. She had a cleft palate. Uh, her nose was crooked. Her face was a little bit disformed. She walked with a limp. She said the only thing worse than the physical pain of all of the things she struggled with was the emotional pain of, of just constantly being teased in school. She said the worst day of the year, every year, was the day in which they gave the hearing test to every student. And the way they did it then is that the teacher would sit at her desk and invite every student up one by one. And every student would, would come to her desk and she would whisper in their ear something like, the sky is blue or you have new shoes. And the student was then required in front of the whole class to repeat aloud what she had heard whispered. Now, Marianne Bird, deaf in one ear, had learned how to navigate this a little bit. She had learned how to, instead of putting her hand over her uh, ear like she was supposed to, she could cup her good ear and still hear, hopefully sometimes, uh, what was said. But she was terrified of this day. One year, she had the everyone's favorite teacher, Mrs. Leonard, and Mrs. Leonard called her up. Her name was called. She was had been terrified of this moment. And she said, in that moment, Miss Leonard said seven words that changed my life forever. When she came to whisper in my ear, she didn't say, the sky is blue. She didn't say, you have new shoes. She simply whispered, I wish you were my little girl. The blessing of words. If I were to give you some time this morning, every one of you would have those stories. Every one of you could talk about a teacher or a coach, a parent, a friend who spoke a word of blessing into your life. Maybe made you believe something that you had never believed before. Maybe really caused you to, to be confident that God could use you and God could do something with your life. And every one of you would have the others. Every one of you would have some words that were said to you that have hurt you, that discouraged you. And many of them have stayed with you for years and years and years. Some of you have been living with some of these curses of words, like the friend at my old church had for over 70 years. One little word becoming a curse to us. Some intentional, some unintentional. Some heard from others, some that you just constantly say to yourself. It's the power of words. There are 150 verses in the book of Proverbs about your words. One-sixth of the entire book of Proverbs deals with the way in which we speak. I think the key verse of all is in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. But I think chapter 18 as a whole communicates the way in which these chapters work. I mean, just think about this. So there's 24 verses in chapter 18. I believe 11 of them are referring to our words. Just look at verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Anyone know anyone like that on social media? Verse 4, chapter 18. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Now look at verse 6. This is one of those classic verses in Proverbs. It's incredible. Proverbs 18, verse 6. It says, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. That's a fantastic verse. And it doesn't seem to indicate that the beating's wrong. He invites the beating. He's asking for the beating. A fool's mouth invites a beating. Highlight that one. Verse 7, a fool's mouth is his ruin. 
and his lips are a snare to his soul. Verse eight, the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Verse 19, a, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and, a quarrel, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Listen, any of you in a quarreling marriage? Any of you in a quarreling relationship? It says quarreling, listen, is like the bars of a castle. But look at verse 21. 21 is the key verse here. It says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your mouth has the power to give life. Your mouth has the power to bring death. Your mouth has the power to bless. Your mouth has the, the power to curse. Just think about the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were deceived by words. Death entered into our lives. Brokenness entered into our lives because of words. It were words that were spoken into Adam and Eve's life when the enemy came and the great deceiver told them that God was lying and he said something that wasn't true. And with words, everything was broken. But think about the gospel. It's words. It's words. With words, you can say to someone, yes, your life is broken. And yes, you were bound in your sin. And yes, you do not even have the ability to do what is right because you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ has come to set you free. He has come that you might have eternal life in him. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, it is possible for the death that you deserve to be taken by Jesus Christ and the curses that are upon you to be taken by Jesus Christ and for you to receive the full eternal life that is yours in Christ Jesus. It's words. It is words in which brought death. It is words that bring life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look at the end of that verse. It's this little poetic phrase that says, and those who love it, who love words, will eat its fruit. I want you to get a picture in your mind this morning. This is what this verse is supposed to do. This poetic language paints a picture that every word is like a seed that's planted in the soul. Do you get that? Every word that is spoken is like a seed that is planted in the soul. And that word will bear fruit. It will bear either the fruit of life or bear the fruit of death. It will bear the fruit of cursing or it'll bear the fruit of blessing. Can you imagine that every word you say is like a seed that is carefully planted, even if it's a word that's thoughtless, carefully planted in the soul of the one who hears it and it will bear fruit. And I went through this week and I read all of these chapters and circled every single verse that had to do with words. And I came away feeling two things. I felt absolutely terrified and never wanting to talk again. And then I felt incredibly motivated at the ability that God has given every one of us to speak life and blessing. And that's really the contrast. And the way in which the Proverbs works is it teaches us through contrast, the contrast of life and death, of blessing and curse. So it is all throughout the book of Proverbs when you see these verses given, they teach us in the way of contrast. And what I want you to do is I want to give you three primary contrasts about words from Proverbs. I want to encourage you to write these down. Three 
contrast. The first one is this. It is the contrast between truthful words and deceitful words. Truthful words and deceitful words. This seems to be the most common contrast. I would say most of the verses seem to be about this exact issue. And I think the reason is because it's an issue that the Lord takes very seriously, but an issue, strangely, we don't take near as seriously as the Lord does. God hates lying. And yet in a thousand different ways, we seem to not be as bothered by our lying as the Lord does. Listen to Proverbs 12, 22. It says, the Lord detests lying lips. Some versions say lying lips are an abomination to God. But he delights in people who are trustworthy. Think about the contrast there. He detests lying lips, but he delights in those who speak truth. There is one that makes the Lord hate and one that makes the Lord love. In Proverbs 6, it says there are seven things the Lord hates. Two of those seven things has to do with lying lips. One of them simply says, the Lord hates lying lips. The Lord hates when we say things that are not true. And I think it's right here that we might have a tendency to stop and say, well, I'm not a liar. I know liars, but I'm not a liar. And so the Proverbs has this incredible way of showing you that you're a liar, whether you think you are or not. Because everyone in this room lies. And so sometimes we think, well, I don't tell a lot of lies. But then you start thinking of other ways that it's described. And you might realize you lie more than you think you do. Let me give you some examples. One of the ways we lie is through slander. Proverbs talks a lot about slander. It is using false words against another. And so any time in which we say something about someone else to someone else that is not wholly true... That's slander. And the Lord hates slander. The Lord hates when we speak a way that is not fully true about someone who was made in the image of God. It brings a curse upon them. And it changes the way people think about you as you're the one who slanders. There's false witness. Over and over it says the Lord hates a false witness. That's someone who distorts the truth for personal gain. They might say something that's kind of true, but they've distorted the truth and they do so for some type of personal gain. It could even be the gain of making someone else look bad in a way that makes you look good. It could be in business. It could be in finance. A false witness. There is flattery. I was surprised at how much the Proverbs talks about flattery. It's just saying what people want to hear. Not what they need to hear, but what they want to hear. So Proverbs 26, 28 says this. Listen, flattery works ruin. I, I would not have put flattery up there with some of these other things. Flattery works ruin. Now there's one area here in which I'm not sure exactly how to navigate. I, I live with five women and I'm often asked how something looks or I, I don't know what to do with that in context of flattery in the book of Proverbs. I, I'm going to leave that up to you. I, I'm not confident the Lord hates that as much as there's other types of flattery. I don't know exactly what to do, but it seems to me there were some times where being less honest would be best for the greater good. But the Lord hates flattery, it says. Then there is deceiving. You say, well, I'm not a deceiver. Deception is telling half-truths. Deception is exaggeration. 
A little bit of the truth, but a little bit of not the truth. Deceiving is posting on social media something about you that gives a little bit of the truth in hopes that someone believe that bit of a truth, but not know the other part of the truth. That's deception. Social media exists for deception. It is very difficult to be constantly on social media and not be given to deception and not be intentionally trying to post something, a picture, a story, whatever it might be, that tells a little bit of the truth but does not tell the whole truth. Why? Because you want to control the narrative about your own life. And it's just false, and God hates deception. Why is it that God feels so strongly about deceitful words? There's so many verses about the way in which God hates flattery and lying and, and deception and false witness and false testimony. And listen, the reason God hates lying so much is because at its very core, lying is utterly and completely, listen, demonic. It is absolutely demonic. So here's something we tend to take lightly, something we don't think much about. It is utterly demonic. It is the primary weapon of Satan. John 8 says that Satan is a liar and there is no truth in him. And the weapon he has been using since the very beginning is the weapon of lies. And they're lies that sound good, but they're lies. And so the way in which Adam deceived, I mean, Satan deceived Adam and Eve was through a lie. And the way in which he tried to get Jesus to sin in the wilderness was a lie. It always a lie. That's what Satan does. Satan lies. And so here it is. The primary weapon of the enemy is to lie. And it is, it is lying that brings curses upon your life. It is, it is lying by which the enemy binds you and the enemy destroys your life. And yet on the other side, here is the truth that only the Lord has. And it is the truth that sets you free. It is the truth that brings freedom. It is the truth that brings life. It is the truth that delivers you from the curses spoken over you. And the reason God hates lies is because Jesus came to deliver you from all of the lies by giving you truth. And the way in which God intends to save you and deliver you and free you and satisfy you, encourage you and bless you is by speaking truth into your life. Hebrews 6.18 said it's impossible for God to lie. Everything he says is the truth. And so in the generation of lies and the generation of half-truths, in a culture in which we don't know what is right and wrong, we have one book that always tells us the truth. We have one book that constantly confronts the lies spoken over us, spoken around us, spoken in us, and that is the word of God. And I think what became most scary to me as I read these verses is how much in very subtle ways we tolerate that which God utterly hates. We tolerate the exaggeration, we tolerate the deception, we tolerate the lies on social media, we tolerate the lies that we hear and the lies that we repeat and the way in which we slander. And God hates it because there is the power in it of life and death. There's a second contrast I want you to write down. It is the contrast between restrained words and reckless words. Some of you need this, restrained words and reckless words. Here's what I mean by restrained. I mean words that are thoughtful, words that are timely, and listen to this, words that are few. That's what I mean by restrained words, thoughtful and timely and, and few. And by reckless words, I mean words that are thoughtless and words that are many, words that are just flowing out 
but we're not pondering those words. You can write down Proverbs 10, 19. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, transgression is unavoidable. You cannot help but to sin if you keep talking. That's what it says. And this makes sense. If, if words have this kind of powerful and if our hearts tend to be deceitful and, and even as believers, we're constantly needing our heart examined to know what is right and everything is flowing out of this heart, the more you talk, the more potential is you're gonna say something really dumb and most likely sinful. Have you ever been around someone? Maybe it was a friend or a family member. Maybe it was a politician and you just wanted to say, just, just, just stop talking. You were doing great. And then you kept talking. We thought everything, and then you posted. Just stop talking for a minute. I think sometimes the Lord might look at us and say, just, just, just stop talking for a minute. Because where there are many words, sin is, is unavoidable. And so the Lord is calling us to restrained words. Listen to Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous, Proverbs 15, 28, ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And so it's almost like the heart of the wicked has nothing here to keep the words from coming out. They just pour out. But what the righteous has is the Holy Spirit of God, which would allow you to ponder the word before you say the word so that the word would give blessing and not curse. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 15, 23. To make an apt or a quick answer is a joy to a man. And a word or right answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. The right word at the right time. Have you ever said the right word at the wrong time? It doesn't count as the right word. If you give the right word exactly the word that you knew you were supposed to say, but you do not pick the right time, for some reason it counts as the wrong word. And I love the call here to give a, a word in the season, the right word at the right time, and a word that we have pondered, we have thought about the words that we're saying. When's the last time you thought about the words that you were going to say? When I think about Proverbs 27, 14, it says this, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, Rising early in the morning, it will be counted as cursing. That's the right word at the wrong time. If you try to bless someone too early in the morning, they will not receive it as a blessing. Isn't this true? I got teenagers. The, right, the, blessing of, the word of blessing at the wrong time. And it's just, just this wisdom to say, be thoughtful, be careful. Ponder your words and make sure you're not only saying the right word, but say it at the right time. Because on the other side is, is reckless words. Proverbs 29, 20. You see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. I think one of the things that I've noticed is that often the most hurtful words are the reckless words. Not even necessarily the, the calculated words that we intended to say that are hurtful, the words and the conversations that we played out in our minds a thousand times before we said them in a negative way. But it's the thoughtless words. I was sitting somewhere recently and um, there's a group of students around me and I, I didn't know them. But I was hearing them talk. 
I was reminded just so much about the way students tend to talk. And one of the things I noticed is there was among the couple of the students just constant, just teasing and, and joking and, and quick words and words that, that it seemed as if no one was bothered because they're so used to it, but they just kind of constantly put the other person down. And the reason students do this is students will say a word that puts someone else down in hopes that no one will put them down. And so if they can say the first word and elevate themselves and, and put someone else down, then it's, it's self-protection. And we're very casual with these things. We're very casual with our little smart aleck comments or our little comments about the way in which someone is or the way in which someone looks or the way in which someone talks or just any of these little, and it kind of becomes our sense of humor. Our sense of humor is just always kind of making little knocks at people all the time. Let me tell you something, it is impossible for someone to hear that and not be affected by it. Like that can't be our sense of humor because those reckless words hurt. They have the power of, of life and death. The last contrast is the one between helpful words and hurtful words. Helpful words and, and hurtful words. Those words that build up and those words that, that tear down. I was looking at my message on my computer last night and one of my kids came up and was looking at my notes and said, what are you preaching on? I said, well, I'm preaching on words from Proverbs. And, and this kid said, well, don't forget Proverbs 16, 24. She had learned this verse at school and it was right here in my notes. Listen to the beauty of this verse. Listen to this, Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words mean words of kindness. Well, they have the ability to affect the soul, but listen to this. They have ability to bring health to the body. It's been an amazing thought that there can be a physical reaction to healthy words. You say, well, you're not a doctor. How do you know that's true? Because God created your body and said it. I don't need some medical survey to tell me that we, we looked at 400 patients and they felt better after good words. God said it. He created you and he said a kind word can change the soul and can bring health to the body. What an incredible verse. Listen to this one. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Is that true? But a good word can make him glad. Now, anxiety is a spiritual issue. It can be a... Uh, a psychological issue, it can be a, a mental issue, there's all kinds of factors. And so let me, let me say this though, I know one thing that can work with an anxious heart, and it's a good word. <laughs> not saying that's solution for all anxiety, but I know the God who created your body and knows your heart has said that one way in which you can help someone who's anxious is a good word. An anxious heart is helped by a good word. And the reason we need these verses is because the more in which I studied Proverbs, the more I thought it was better for every single person on earth just to put a muzzle on their mouth and never talk again. Do you feel that? Like it seems like everything would be better if no one said anything. I mean, just let's just experience it for a minute. Isn't that great? The reason we don't do that is because we also have the power to help the body and the soul. 
Because God has given us this power of life and the power of blessing. And the reason that the solution is not to stop talking is because God wants you to use your words not to be hurtful, but to be helpful. There is a real opportunity that you have to help and to change someone and to deeply encourage someone. What a fun thing. What a joyful thing to be able to use your words to deeply encourage others. And yet so often our words, intentional or unintentional, are hurting others. And every one of you in this room have examples of the ways in which words have not helped you, but they've hurt you. Proverbs talks a lot about different ways this happens. It talks about slander again, that the one who whispers and talks behind someone's back, the one who tears others down. It says in Proverbs 16, 28, that a slanderer separates intimate friends. It kills relationships. Talks a lot about gossip. People who can't keep a secret. People who betray confidences. This is very serious in Proverbs. Let me tell you how serious it is. Listen to Proverbs twenty nineteen. Some of you desperately need to hear this. Listen. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. Do not associate with a gossip. I had an old pastor friend that told me one time a, a lady in his church said, well, pastor, I'm not a gossip. I just, I don't know why it is, but everyone always comes to me to talk about things. I'm just the person, I think they just trust me and I, I'm just always the one that he, and I don't share it. They just always tell it to me. And he said, the reason they tell it to you is because they know you're gonna listen. That's true. If you're one of those people, everybody, maybe it's because you should stop listening to what they're saying. And oftentimes, the way in which we stop gossip is just by saying, I'm not going to listen to that. Do not associate with a gossip, it says. You can't imagine a, a stronger verse than that. And the reason it's so tempting to associate with a gossip is because what we read in Proverbs 18.8, because the words of gossip are like delicious morsels. They're like little sweets. They're like little treats. And you have to admit this is true. You have to admit there's something delicious about getting a little bit of gossip before anybody else hears it. You know you love it. You love it. I love it. Don't you love getting some news before anybody? Some about, I knew something was wrong with them. I didn't know what, but I knew something was going on. The problem with it is the proverb says this. It says that kind of gossip separates friends. It crushes people's spirits. It kills unity. It causes anger and it brings ruin. And I assure you, if you're a gossip, it has dramatically changed the way people think about you. And it dramatically changes the way that you will think about others. It's hurtful words. The last hurtful word that I, I can't fail to mention because it's mentioned so often is angry words. One of the biggest cautions is words that are spoken in anger. Listen to Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man commits many sins. A hot-tempered man commits many sins. I read a book last year by one of my favorite authors, David Pallison. It's a book called Good and Angry, and it was a book about righteous anger and unrighteous anger. And what he said about righteous anger, I'd never thought about before. He said, as someone who tends towards anger does so because deep in their soul, they view themselves as God. They are the one of supreme, of supreme importance. They are the one that matter most. And so here's what happens. If you do something that they perceive as wrong, 
and they feel some sense of injustice against them, then they come at you with some lightning bolt of anger. It is this perception of how dare you make me angry? How dare you do something that, that goes against me? And really the, the root of that kind of anger is idolatry and the fact that we have elevated ourselves to this position in which everyone should always say exactly what is right to us and no one should hurt us. And what it does is it brings that lightning bolt and most often, and you know this, some of you are raised in these homes, most often that lightning bolt is the lightning bolt of words. How can I crush you and destroy you in a word? Some of you have received that time and time again. It's not just the words, it's even the tone of the words. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. A hard word, listen, a hard word stirs up anger. Listen to Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue. This is not talking about the words. It's talking about the tone of voice. Listen to me. The gentle tongue is a tree of life. You can crush a child's spirit, not by what you say, but just by the way you say it. Your elevated voice the look on your face, you can crush a friend, you can crush a spouse by the elevated way in which you speak. But the gentle tone is a tree of life. And your tone can bring life, your tone can bless, your, your tone can either crush a spirit or encourage a spirit. Why? Because there's death and life in the power of the tongue. And the most amazing thing to me of all about this, listen carefully, is that every one of you has been given the same power. You would, you would think that this kind of power would be reserved for a few. You, you would certainly think that, that the righteous would get more of this power, but the fool would not have so much power. Every single person has the same power. And so you can be walking down the street and someone you don't even know say something to you and it crush you and change your life forever. Some hateful person in third grade can say something to you and can have you bound for the rest of your life. Everyone has this power. It is unbelievable to imagine the, the amount of power every one of us has been given by simply the ability to speak. Some of you know the power of blessing and the power of curse. And the reality is all of us have been hurt by words. Every one of us. And every one of us have hurt others by our words. Every one of us. So when we think about the power of life and death, well, how do we respond to that? Let me give you some practical thoughts that you need. The first one is this. We have to wage war on sinful words. We've got to wage war on this. We have the ability to crush someone's spirit, to, to destroy someone's life, to destroy relationships. And the battleground in which we fight this war is the battleground of the heart because Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34 that the mouth speaks what fills the heart. So it's not just a matter of being disciplined. It's a matter of seeing what's going on in the heart. Now let me tell you one of the beautiful ways that God works. God uses our words to expose what's going on in our heart. And so you listen to your words and the tone in which you speak and the anger and the resentment and the bitterness and every word is saying something about the condition of your heart and God is gracious to allow us to seek our heart by hearing our own words. And oftentimes, listen, things like exaggeration and sarcasm, listen, the way in which we belittle other people, the anger, the teasing, the gossip, it's just rooted in a heart of pride. 
This is gonna resonate with some of you. Listen, some of you find it very difficult to compliment someone else. You find it very difficult to look at your spouse and tell them something good God is doing in their life. You find it very difficult to look at a friend and say, I just wanna bless you with some encouraging words. And the reason you find that difficult is because it's pride. It is pride that keeps us from using our words to bless others. And so we wage war against the bitterness and resentment and hatred that is in our own heart. We wage war on the things that we're listening to, receiving that are going into our heart and coming out in our words. And we pray Psalm 139, God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. God, why is this happening? Where are these words coming from? Show me what is in my heart. Listen carefully. Some of you this morning need to apologize to someone. Some of you this morning need to bring someone at the invitation and you need to apologize to them. Some of you need to make a call today and everything in you is gonna not wanna do that. But God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. If you want the grace of God, the power of God on your life, some of you need to apologize for words that you've said intentionally or unintentionally. You gotta wage war on this. The other thing practically we do to respond is we use words that, that bless and give life. You take the, the positive side of the power that God has given us and, and you speak life into people, you bless. Listen, you want an application for this sermon, share the gospel. Tell someone there's life in the name of Jesus Christ, that their sins can be forgiven, that they can know what it's like to know the power of God in their lives. They can defeat sin through the power of Jesus Christ. Share the gospel. Listen, just affirm someone today. I mean, just make a decision. I'm gonna love on someone. I'm gonna affirm someone. I'm gonna tell them the good things I see. Humble yourself and go to a parent or a spouse or a friend or a stranger and just speak words of life. Listen, speak words of praise over your own life. Speak the word of God over your own life. Tell yourself the truth. Reject the lies. Use words to change the atmosphere in your home. I gave an illustration in the first service. I didn't plan on it, but I couldn't help but to think about it. My sweet mother who's sitting right over here I have never known anyone in my life who just constantly blesses people everywhere she goes. I have never seen anything like it. So much so that often it's embarrassing. We'll be checking out at the grocery store and she'll look at the sweet like 16 year old girl that's checking us out at the grocery store and say, you have the most beautiful eyes. All the time, everywhere we go. Everywhere, something good and just something positive. Can you imagine just the power to just bless and to, to make someone's day? Because I promise you, that girl has not heard that that day. The power to bless. Give me the last thing, and this leads to our invitation. Some of you this morning need to break the curse of words. Some of you know exactly the word, exactly the time, exactly the person and it's a demonic stronghold in your life. A demonic stronghold is nothing more than a lie that you've believed. And it's binding you and controlling you and keeping you from being the person God wants you to be because you've believed a lie. It could have been some old lady that told you you can't sing. It's demonic and it's a lie. And what you do is you recognize it you say, there is a lie that keeps playing in my head. There is a lie about who I am or what I can do or what I can't do or about the way in which I look. You recognize it. You reject it in the name of Jesus Christ. You say, that is not true about me. You replace it with something that is true of the word of God. And then you receive a blessing from the Lord. You see it and you say, that is not true. I've got to quit playing that over in my mind. It's not true. In Jesus' name, I reject that. And I'm going to replace it with something that's true. I am loved. I am cherished. I am valued. 
Every blessing in the heavenly places is mine. And some of you this morning need to get on your knees and say, I am no longer going to be bound by demonic stronghold. I am going to replace that lie with something that is true. And you got to walk out of here this morning feeling free from a lie that you've lived with for years. There is no reason, given the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that you should leave here today without breaking that curse and replacing it with something that is true. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.